0: hello and welcome to the blackout podcast where i get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things and this one Took too long, Tanya. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it took too long, but uh, I, I, I'm super excited to have my friend. I remember, like you know, I'm just kind of a hug. I'm just gonna introduce you before I start rambling on. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Thank you today. for
1: having me. I
0: remember, like I was, you know, behind the camera watching you talk uh, to Nesh. I was like, oh, I need to talk to this woman. Like I just <laughs> need to. It's what? I need to. So, um. I I mean, because one of the things I found out was, like, you moved here, even though you're originally from here, but you worked in Calgary, I believe. I was out in Alberta for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Let's jump to Alberta. Uh, What were you doing in Alberta and why did you decide to move back?
1: Well, Mm -hmm. so born and raised in St. John, New Brunswick, just a province over. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad's family was from here. So my paternal grandmother, Catherine Peters, was from Annapolis Royale. So that's the African Nova Scotian connection for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But after I finished high school in St. John, I'm like, there's nothing here for me. Where am I going to go and be able to make some money and just live my life? And uh, so, you know, before I went to Alberta, though, I should say, I went to Fredericton, New Brunswick, and did my first degree in sociology. And once I finished that, then I moved to Alberta, Mm. sold everything I owned, packed my little car and away I went. And uh, yeah. um, Did you have
0: something waiting for you in Alberta or just? No.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's what you do when you're a kid, though. You know, right. you, you don't make any plans. You're just like, I'm going to go and tackle the world. And that's what I did, mm. you know? So, and fast forward 25 years, I stay out there 25 years, you know, another degree, a couple marriages, a couple kids, like that sort of stuff. So yeah, I went out there just to, you know, I was, I was raised in poverty. You know, I, I life was really hard for me growing up and I wanted better for myself. And I'm like, everyone was moving to Alberta. So that's where I went. Mm. You know, yeah, I went to Alberta. What is
0: it? Oh, the oil, I guess.
1: Oil and gas, I guess. For some mm. folks, I'm I'm not into that. Right. I, I'm a social scientist. I like to study people. Mm-hmm. You know why we do the things we do.
0: What, what was that something that was always fascinating to you?
1: Yes, oh. I have always been someone that people confide in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I uh, maybe. Um, just a lover of people, a healer. I mean, I'm not going to go so far to say I'm a healer at all, but at a very young age, people would come to me for healing, for, you know, for my ear, for love and attention and just compassion. I just, I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure mm-hmm. my family of origin, I was always kind of the, the mediator and the voice of reason amongst my siblings. Mm-hmm. And even though I wasn't the oldest, not by any means, I was the youngest for a long time, wow. until my baby sister came. But I just, it's just who I am.
0: How, uh, you know, we'll get back to that, but how, mm-hmm. w- how long were you the baby before you had the baby sister? Eight years. Oh, wow. Eight years. Are you guys close?
1: Yes, <laughs> now we, we weren't. Oh. <laughs> when she was first born, I was not having it. I'm like, oh, this baby needs to go away. I was used to being the center of my right. mom's world, right? right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when she was born, I was like, oh. Uh, <laughs> I, so we weren't close for the longest time, and truth be told, it wasn't until I moved away to Alberta, so I was an adult, mm. um, that I started to reach back out to siblings that I left behind her, but here, her in particular.
0: Mm. So
1: now, I'm 47 now, uh, her and I, like she's she's everything.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: wow. yeah, Wow.
0: Okay, so yeah, I mean, People always reach out to you and you're the one that is like the this cool ice water that calms the <laughs> nerves and all these things. And, but, like, who was doing that for you? Oh, what a good question. I mean, truth be
1: told, I have been in therapy since I was 19. Hmm. So uh, second year of university at St. Thomas University. Uh, f- things weren't going well for me here. Family of origin things, you know, life was hard. And I had some traumas and demons that I had to work through. Mm. Because for me, I'm like, you don't want to go to school, do a sociology, social work degree, whatever, which is what I did. And then perpetuate your trauma and harm onto others, the people that you're supposed to be supporting. That was important to me. So I'm like, I know I need to see a therapist and work through my own stuff Mm -hmm. so that I'm not projecting that onto others. So, you know, like, got into therapy really young and just... Yeah, I'm like, I know I want to help people work through, yes, childhood trauma, but also racial trauma. Right. Was always a passion of mine from really early on. Having a black father and a white mother, I didn't know what it was when I was young, but I knew I didn't like how my father was treated. It bothered me. You, what, are, what are some of the things that you noticed? <laughs> Listen, tr- real talk. Uh, I had a conversation with him yesterday. He's 80. Mm. Um, Edward McCarty. He's in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, I had a conversation with him yesterday about one of my earliest memories of him being taken away uh, violently in handcuffs by the police. I was five. Wow. One of my very first core childhood memories Wow. is that one. Um, and just you know the stories that he's told me over the years of like you know of not being able to get a mortgage and oh you know when he called to see about an apartment for rent yep it's available it's available that he gets there the he sees the look on the person's face a white person and sorry it's rented you right. know, not being yeah.
0: When they see the last name, they can't tell no. until they see yeah. the person that oh,
1: Yeah, So just all the stories of anti black racism that he has shared with me. Mm. Um, you know, it just it, from a really early age, especially once I got into high school too. Like when I that's when I got into high school, I was like, this is what I want to focus on. Mm. Studying the history of anti black racism in Canada because it's not talked about, it's not taught in school we go through kind of an indoctrination in school where they don't talk about any of that. Mm. You know, uh, they tell you the light and fluffy stuff, <laughs> you know, but, but I knew there was more. Mm. I knew there was more, so I just kept digging on it. And yeah, so the focus has always been addressing anti-black racism, challenging it wherever I see it, mm. uh, pushing people to heal and be better humans because we live under systems that are White supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, they're oppressive and really mess us up. Mm. And so many of us have, we don't have a clue. It's like you're a fish in water, you don't even realize you're in the water. It's it's like those systems. Mm. So many people have the blinders on and we're just going through the grind every day and we have no idea that we are sick,
0: Mm.
1: spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we're not well.
0: So, so what is some of the things you knew or you found out through therapy? Ah. who oh.
1: <laughs> What did I find out? Well, um, that, would be, that would take us way too long. I'll try right, to keep right, it real right. brief. What did I find out? You know, I had to work out some of, um, work through some things around abandonment for sure. Because that five-year-old little girl watching my father... Um, be taken away in handcuffs was devastating that was devastating um and then not hearing from him again until i was 12. you know so my father and i were having a conversation yesterday it was a teary conversation around uh why why did it why did you go away and not come back and get me you know Mm -hmm. and really trying to figure out in therapy i wonder what kind of woman not that I don't like the woman I've become. I'm really proud of the work that I have done on myself. It has been hard work. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, vulnerable work to work through your shame and your trauma and all of that stuff. And it's ongoing, I'm not done. Mm-hmm. I'm not healed. I don't think we ever get there, you know, really. I, I'm, I'm in the process of just, you know, working through it all. But um, yeah, so trying to work through like the abandonment issues, um, and, and knowing that, you know what, him leaving like that and divorcing him and my mom and him divorcing and him not coming back for me, it wasn't because I wasn't good enough. Mm. But when I was a five-year-old little girl, I internalized that and told myself, I must not be a good girl because my dad left. Mm. And he's never come back for me. So we're he's 80 and we're still talking about that and you know, and he's still apologizing and trying to show me something different and, you know, and we're not taking any time for granted because life is not guaranteed. Mm. I'm still here today. So is he. So we're talking about it and trying mm. to heal that that trauma and that relationship and just do better.
0: Mm. And it's so an ongoing process. It's
1: eh? an ongoing process of just of forgiving him because my father didn't have the love and safety and compassion and tenderness and parents that he needed.
0: It's one of those things where, um, you know, as you grow, you be like, oh, okay, it makes sense why that person was like that. Yeah. You know? Yes. But then, is then not that other part that is like, but I've done this work for myself. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. No. I still really, for me, I spend a lot of time. What I've really figured out is, because when I was younger, I was I would blame my parents. Mm. My mom and my dad, I blamed them for all of the things that I didn't have. Mm. Living, living in government housing, using food banks all the time, not having parents to be able to pay for, I mean, I paid for three university degrees myself. Wow. You know, and, and I've been working a full-time job since I was 15 years old. I moved out in high school on my own for safety, like I needed to be safe and secure. So I have accomplished so much without the support of my parents. Early on, they're very supportive now, Mm. you know. Um, Yeah, I was angry for a long time, but I had to forgive them. And then I I had to also learn to forgive myself for pushing myself so hard, for being so unloving towards myself, Mm -hmm. for not showing myself compassion and kindness. You know, I pushed myself really hard. But that's what the systems, like, condition us to do. Mm. To overwork, they exploit us, they, you know, so... So that's, that's the work that I continue to do, and I am trying to also support others who are interested in doing the same work.
0: Okay, so let's jump back to, you know, Alberta. You're like, you're still caught up in the machine. I need to, yep. you know, be able to buy a house and drive a <laughs> yeah. car and stuff. Did that happen for you in Alberta? Y- yes, it
1: did. <laughs> yeah, it did. I, um, I started my, my social work career out there at the Calgary Drop-In and Rehabilitation Center. So it's the largest or second largest, um, short of one in Toronto, homeless shelter in Canada. Oh, wow. So every night we would house about 1,500 people. And so I was doing addiction and mental health work there.
0: That's yeah. a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I started my social work career. So I did about five years there. Mm-hmm. And then I moved over to the government of Alberta, Children's Services. That's... that's even-
0: That's worse. (laughs) That's
1: worse. I did that. I worked as a caseworker. I worked as an investigator. And then I moved into uh, leadership roles. Did you
0: have kids by that time? Yes. Was it difficult? Very difficult. Yeah.
1: Very difficult. Um, You know, I I had my first child with my first husband. Terrence is 23 now. He's still in Calgary. Um, He was three at the time when I was just finishing my social work degree. He mm. was three, and I was working and going to school full-time and just, yeah, doing what I had to do. Mm. I was very driven to ensure that I could give my children more than what my parents were able to give me.
0: Mm.
1: You know, so I was I was very driven. So I did my five years there. I, I started with the government of Alberta. All was good until, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years in.
0: What happened?
1: Uh, um... I was trying to address anti-Black racism inside of that huge system because the overrepresentation of Indigenous and Black children in care is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I was tired and disgusted of sitting at tables, consulting different files that were coming to our attention with lots of other white folk who were very... Excited and happy to give supports and services to this white family and their children, but when I presented uh, a case where the family was indigenous or black, and I'm advocating, they don't want to give the services. They, oh no, it needs to be an apprehension. They need to come into foster care.
0: What would be the difference between what they do versus this apprehension or something? It,
1: well. I, I found that, that they were much, much more likely to give supports and services. So financial support, in-home oh, support, parenting than, support, counseling oh, to the white children and families as opposed to the indigenous and black families.
0: Versus we'll take care of those people rather than give them the support. Would it is that is it kind of saying, <laughs> I don't know if they would say this, but isn't that kind of saying that these people are not able to take care of themselves? All of that. Oh, okay. I mean,
1: the stereotypes were, were you know, the things—I'll just say, I'll just real talk—the things that I would hear that I've heard from police officers, uh, other professionals, teachers, counselors, lots of different people. I, I mean, I've rubbed elbows with a lot of professionals over my career. I've been a social worker now for 22 years. Mm. But when I was out there, some of the things I've heard, like, oh, it's just another, like, I've heard a police officer say, you know, just another, uh, like, drunk Indian calling in to describe an Indigenous individual, you know, that was calling in to get supports for their family. Oh, they're just, we went out to check it out and they were all drunk. You know, just the typical, like, that sort of garbage.
0: Mm.
1: And they would talk, you know, about, you know, Black folk as well, especially people who were new to the country. So Mm. a lot of African individuals who would come to our attention talked the way that, that the, some of the things that I heard mm. and had to challenge and would write emails to like upper executive and, and write emails to staff sergeants and then be met with, Tanya, why do you need to always make it about race?
0: Uh, but Tanya, like-
1: why do you need to pull the race car? Tanya, why are you so angry? <laughs> I, it, it Honestly, it chewed me up and spit me out. Mm. I was exhausted. So after 17 years, I resigned.
0: <laughs> wow. 17 years I Was to make that choice?
1: Oh, so hard. Like, I, I think part of it was, it was so hard, but also healing. I can right. say that now, because hard because I was busy climbing up the corporate ladder, mm-hmm. you know, making my money, make, you know, taking care of my family, bought my house, my cars, like, did my thing because I, I was raised in poverty. And so having material things was important to me until I had it and was able to provide for my kids but was still so unfulfilled. Mm. That work and that system is so hugely flawed. It's so racist. It's so harmful. Mm. And the moral distress that I was experiencing because I'm not interested in harming human beings, especially black and brown people, you know? Mm. I'm like, no. Uh, uh, And so I felt so much moral distress that I couldn't that I couldn't um, make this system change. It was too big, it was too much for just me. Mm. And there weren't enough allies and people who were willing to get behind me. Once in a while, someone would say to me behind closed doors, thanks for saying something at the table Tanya. thanks for sending that email. But no one was really able and willing, especially at higher levels, To really like go to bat with me and for me for the injustices that I was seeing.
0: Why why do you think that was like White Supremacy? (laughs) (laughs) White supremacy. I mean, that's
1: that is the that is the history of not only children's services, but even social work. That is the history, right? Um, So for me, it's about my my work now is about decolonizing myself, Mm. decolonizing my practice, getting back to um, somatic and body and breath healing work, Mm -hmm. connecting back to um, the earth, you know, Uh, connecting back to song and dance and just praying and of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Because we are really disconnected from that.
0: Did all this happen right after you left, or was there a process to get here?
1: Well, once I resigned from the government of Alberta, um, I, I was there was a job here that I was offered and accepted, you know, and, and I knew I was done with the government of Alberta. I had a family meeting with my husband and my three children. So my oldest daughter Shelby's twenty six. And my middle son, Terrence, is 23, and my youngster is 13, Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, we called a family meeting, and I said, hey, guys, this is the opportunity that's been presented to me. I'm thinking about taking it. It would mean moving to Nova Scotia. And my kids were like, oh, my God, Mom, you have to do it. It's everything. Like, you, t-, <laughs> you know, so that, that was it. I mean, I sold my house within a week. Holy cause shit. Because it, it was at the peak of, like, the whole booming, like, you know. It was what year? 2022. March. So things were booming and actually I had an offer on my house before we even listed it before it went live. So wow. yeah. So sold my house, we packed everything up in two shipping containers and drove across the country. Holy shit. Lived in an Airbnb for a couple of months and then bought a house in Lawrence Town. Mm. So yeah, it <laughs> it all happened really
0: quick. Well, the place in St. Lawrence Town was the decision easy to make? Did you check out other places before you
1: I that was the second house that I had made an offer on the first house I had made an offer on was, and thank goodness I didn't get it because it was over in Beaver Bank. Ah. And I remember saying to some of the people that I was working with, because they were like, I was so excited about moving to a province where there was such a, a strong black presence. Mm-hmm. And and I get over to Beaverbank and I went to the superstore there and I actually went in like looking around for all the black folk mm-hmm. and there was nobody. Everyone was white. And yeah, I said yeah. to my coworkers, there, where are all the black people? <laughs> and she's like, you are you moved to Beaver Bank. That's yeah. the wrong, like, no, you're in the wrong area. So uh, I said to my real estate agent, I'm like, I need to be closer to the ocean, first of all, mm-hmm. and close to my office, which was on Victoria Road, so mm-hmm. in Dartmouth. So she found me a house in Lawrence Town, which is right next to East Preston. So I'm like, yeah. v- very happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, so you, you made the move, brought your family down. Yeah. Uh, cause you had that job.
1: I worked as an executive director briefly for a nonprofit here. here. Uh, no, I, I am, I'm a face-to-face front lines working with people. Uh, I'm not interested in isn't pushing. Isn't more difficult though? But it's my heart's work.
0: Right, It's right.
1: It, it doesn't feel difficult because I love it, it. your thing,
0: yeah.
1: I love it, it doesn't feel like work. Setting and talking, holding space for people to share their pain and their trauma and their healing. Mm-hmm. That is everything. I feel so privileged. It is not work.
0: Okay, so... Executive director, you're yeah, just in meetings all day, pretty much. Yep. Um, I was an
1: overpaid secretary. <laughs> 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 really, you know, And not to minimize, like, listen. Yeah. The, the, the people who are executive directors, yeah. it's important work.
0: Yes. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. No, no. I totally get it. Um, you know, I have friends that do that and it's like a lot of work but it's a lot of talking to the people you're actually doing that thing for you know
1: and i and i was overworked Mm. i couldn't support my staff the way i wanted to i was in meetings constantly i was constantly writing grant applications and trying to get money and it just no i'm like this is for somebody else respectfully Mm. so i did that for just under a year and i resigned and I was heartbroken by that because I moved here for, for that the, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a black organization, like, I, you know, and it no, it wasn't for me. So now I'm like, okay, let me just, let me just take a step back. How can I, how can I do work, the heart-centered work that is so meaningful for me? Mm. So now, you know, and launching my own uh, business, I'm working as a consultant. So people are hiring me now to come out to community mm. and put on meditation sessions for black women in healing you know um doing presentations on PTSD, racial trauma, mental emotional health, like that sort of stuff that I love. Mm. How do we I did a workshop recently on um keeping your wellness cup full in a racist world. How do we stay how do we stay healthy well and heal ourselves while we live under these systems because they're not changing right now.
0: Mm. It's still
1: in place. Here we are.
0: So, I mean, I know this is a big big workshop but what are two or three things you can share from things we can do for that? The
1: top three things? Mm. <laughs> I, I would say number one, we're built for connection. Like we need each other. Right. I made a huge mistake trying to address anti black racism within a huge government system, kind of on my own. Right. You know?
0: Right.
1: And it like I said earlier, it chewed me up and spit me out. And I was in a leadership role. You know? Mm. Um And yes, I was able to advocate and support each individual family, Mm -hmm. but then I always worried when I wasn't on shift and was other supervisors, like, and I'd come in the next day, then there'd be a whole, there there would be all kinds of apprehensions and mostly of black and brown people Mm. and children. Like I I just, it just caused me too much moral distress. So we lean on people who are like-minded who love the same things that you do, who Mm. are passionate about, you know, I'm passionate about, you know, healing and all of that stuff. So I really surround myself with people Mm. who are interested in the same thing. I'm not interested in... Toxicity, or just any of that stuff. Mm. If if you're in the midst, you're someone who's still angry and you want to gossip and do all that stuff. Respectfully, go over there and do that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I am interested in keeping my vibrational frequency at a certain place, mm. and and I invest in myself every day through meditation and journaling and exercise and yoga and walking in nature to keep myself, you know.
0: Mm. feeling
1: mentally my best mm. so we're wired for connection find your tribe for sure um, I'm all about meditation you know getting it getting out of our minds mm. and into our bodies you have to I just said this to my son he's he has his first little girlfriend and came to me today for some advice <laughs> uh, about communication. Mm. And communication when the feelings are difficult. He's 13. Right. And I said to him, you know, it sounds like your girlfriend has some things that maybe she needs to work on. She might not be ready. She's only 13. But I'm like, just remember, no emotions that you have are wrong. Some are, some feel good. Some don't feel good. But they're all human. And if you're trying to work and heal on something, you have to feel it to heal it.
0: Mm, mm. We need to
1: get out of our heads <laughs> and into our bodies so i spend a lot of time laying on the grass breathing listening to the birds going to the ocean walking mm. crying at the you know when, whenever i go to the ocean usually i end up crying why just it feels so liberating and healing to breathe that air and to just connect with connect with the planet And to just have such gratitude for the life that I have. Mm. Because it's a gift that I've been given, you know? And I I don't take it for granted.
0: Wow, 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 wow. So it's a good thing you leave where you leave then. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to drive very far to get to the ocean.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful.
0: Okay, so, I mean, and now, what's your business called? My
1: business is called Healing on Purpose Therapeutic Services.
0: So, basically... It has to be a conscious effort to want to heal. It just doesn't happen.
1: No, it's for me. It's like I remember someone saying to me recently, so I should just say before I go on. So right now I'm offering uh, holistic life coaching services. Um, I'm also available for hire for like, you know, workshops and different talks, keynote speaking, workshops, things like that. Mm-hmm. My favorite, obviously, is to lead a group meditation, especially uh, for a series that ABSW puts on Black Women in Healing. I, I love that. Black Women Healing. So to get together, we got together a couple months ago at the Bald Center, 30 black women all laying down together, breathing, being present and supporting each other to just heal. What it is a- was it was beautiful.
0: What is ABSW? The
1: Association of Black Social Workers. Oh right. So it's a nonprofit okay. here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, that's my favorite thing <laughs> to, to do. If I could just have a full-time job where I just, just lead that. Black folks through yes, through meditation, and I've been advocating for we need the same for Black men, and we need the same for people who may don't identify as men or women. Mm. You know, like I want to be truly inclusive and make space for people um, who are human beings and and are interested in healing.
0: Yeah. Um, So, I guess, what is a typical session like? Mm.
1: So, uh, typically, you know, just... um, Encouraging people to position their bodies in a way that feels good and liberating for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to be uncomfortable at all. And what I do is I do a combination of like guiding through, uh, you know, breathing st- and concentrating on certain parts of your body. Uh, and then through that, also, I um, put in some affirmations that are specifically for whatever group I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of affirmations for black women. To combat a lot of the negative stereotypes that we hear about ourselves, okay. you know It could be anything around, you know, skin tone, hair texture, the shape of our bodies, because we have so much, I just finished reading um, Fearing the Black Body. And we have so much shame around our bodies. Mm. And so really trying to work with people as well to release that, that is white supremacy. Mm. You know we need to be able to see it and name what it is. So that we can go ahead and heal ourselves. So that's usually how I lead them.
0: Because, uh, I mean, one thing I've learned is if you skirt around something, if you don't call it what that thing is, it's just, you're just wasting time.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I did say to someone recently, because they said to me, Oh, I went, I've been going to counseling, it's not helpful, it's not doing anything. And I'm like, Well, if you're expecting the therapist to fix you or to have the answers or to give you the answers or tell you what to do, number one, That's not really what therapy is, or it should be. For me, it's about holding space for people to be vulnerable, to work through their shame. And it's about asking questions and Mm -hmm. guiding them through the process so that they come up with their own answers. Mm -hmm. Because each of us knows instinctively Mm -hmm. what is right for us but we're disconnected from our bodies. Mm. We don't listen to the gut feelings that we have because we're in here so much. So for me, that's what good therapy is. Holding space for people to be human and not judging, you know?
0: Okay. Uh, It's always (laughs) great talking to you or just listening to you talk. Um, One of the ways you get your, I guess, your words or share your knowledge is through social media. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that, being a black woman?
1: It's It can be a lot. Mm-hmm. I I have been kind of not on there as much through December. I kind of took December off mm-hmm. to just be with myself. I spent a lot of time just meditating, journaling, journaling taking naps, <laughs> naps. a number of books that I'm reading. Yeah, taking naps. <laughs> Rest is Resistance is like my Bible. Have yeah. you read this book? No. Oh. Oh, I should have brought you a copy. <laughs> you need this book. I recommend it to everyone. The two books I'm reading right now, rereading. So Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. Mm-hmm. So she is the, the she is the founder of the Knapp Ministry. She oh. is a beautiful black woman who is all about liberation, black liberation in particular, but just liberation of humans, period. Mm-hmm. To to break free from white supremacy, capitalism, and the grind. and get back to what it means to be a human being Mm. right so that's the first one the other book that i'm reading right now that is just it's it's life-changing is the myth of normal i forget his name he he's like a psychologist out of vancouver doctor i want to say goober it starts with a g anyway the myth of normal wow these two books go hand in
0: hand so basically what like Normal is a myth or or what's the premise of the book? The
1: premise of the book really is to to bring our attention to all the the ways that we're living right now. Mm. You know, the grind constantly overworking, overextending ourselves, not honoring ourselves, not just not being present, not being in touch with what it really means we're not just here to work and die (laughs) that's not why human beings are here but so many people that's how we live that's how i lived for the longest
0: time until
1: my body and mind finally said no more no no more i was exhausted
0: what do you mean by your body and mind said no more
1: well, I, I developed a slew of symptoms. Oh. Right? Okay. Insomnia, depression, anxiety. My body was aching all the time. I had high blood pressure. Like, and I had always been a healthy person. Mm. And all of a sudden, when I was with the government of Alberta at the end of my career there, it was oh, all fall, this was falling apart. Mm. It was falling. And my family and friends were saying to me, You're no changing. Because <laughs> I'm normally energetic and bubbly and just, and I was not. Mm. I was not. And I was angry. I was angry at the system. And I was angry at myself that I, at first, that I couldn't pull myself out of it. I was burnt (laughs) out. And and like I found out, you know, I I know now I was burnt out. I was dealing with vicarious trauma and PTSD from the work that I had been doing for so many years. Mm. I I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. Uh, And I went to my doctor and she's like, you need to find another job. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is enough. It's enough. Mm. You've heard you. A person can only ingest so many traumatic stories from children. Mm. There's a limit,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: And when you're working in children's services in the capacity that I was, there should be like a five-year limit, maybe. I, I don't think it's a position that you really should be in for seventeen years. Wow. And I I didn't know my limits. I. Had always pushed myself hard and had accomplished so much
0: so it's like i was very resilient
1: one. i ju- i thought this was just something else that i'm I just, gonna do
0: I, and the thing about <laughs> being like is uh one more rep right one more rep yeah i've just I, I, yeah i've done this and then you and then when you look back at all these things you've accomplished it's like just one yeah. you know just one moment totally because i've
1: never given up on anything yeah ever So for me to quit my position after 17 years and my and to have my family and friends kind of in my ears like, are you crazy? You're going to quit your job. Mm, You'll mm. never make that kind of money again. What about your pension? What about the?" And I'm like, what about my mental health? Mm. What about my emotional health? Is really my answer. No job or position is worth your health.
0: Mm.
1: None. Mm. And really, if you are empty. If your cup is empty, your emotional cup is empty. You have
0: nothing to give.
1: You have nothing to give. I always say, what is in my cup is mine. What runneth over the cup is for everybody else. Fill your cup first. It's not selfish. It's self-full.
0: You know what? If you ever write a book, that should be the title. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, fill your cup first. (laughs) And and I think one thing, you know, people usually see it as being selfish, but I'm like, it's not. It's self-full. It's not because... Even in the, you know, when you're playing, that like you need to put your own oxygen mask. Thank you. Because, like, if you want to be, you can't, you can't, you can't give what you don't have. Thank you. (laughs) I'm like, it's the truth. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's the truth. And I said those words to my father yesterday when we were talking. I'm like, you know, Dad, I recognize that you didn't have parents that nurtured and loved you, Mm. and so you didn't have it to give me Mm. as a little girl, and I understand. And I, I forgive you and I forgive myself. And, you know, I, what I figured out is I'm giving those things to myself. Mm. What everybody else around me may give, my husband, my children, my friends, my family, that's mm-hmm. kind of an extra. Mm. But I show myself love, compassion, kindness, you know, all of those things first. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's up to me. Mm. I am responsible for me. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, we need to do a part two, man. because part like, two. Yeah, yeah, this is... this is. But one thing I, I said I was going to do uh, this year when I have a guest is someone asked me this question or yeah. I read it somewhere and it just blew my mind. Oh. What is something that happened before you were 17 that you feel, like an experience you had before you were 17 that you feel is, plays a role in who you are today or the things you are doing today? Oh, that's a really great question. I know. That plays a role. Mm, it's like, has this influence in who Tanya is today? You know, I
1: mean, sadly, it's really sad that The things that come to mind right off the top are kind of traumatic experiences, Uh, uh. you know? Because I do think of the one that I told you about, my dad being arrested, that's, you know, and and leaving and and me not talking to him again until I was 12, you know, that abandonment stuff. And then I also think about even in school of being bullied because, you know, because I had a black father, you know, kids would bully me, you know? Um, Yeah, you know, call me Oreo and just all these like, you know, crazy, you know. Mm. names, but it was hurtful when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And and I remember thinking, I really don't like how racism feels. <laughs> and I'm going to do everything that I can to like educate people about it and like address it and challenge it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So those experiences really definitely have played a huge role mm-hmm. because that theme is all through all three of my degrees. I wrote a, the- a huge thesis paper, 150 150- page paper that took me a year and a half to write on anti-black racism within law enforcement. That was one of my first degrees. I'm like, that is—so definitely my experiences of being picked on and racism and stuff when I was a kid definitely impacted who I am now and, like, really addressing injustice, period. Mm. Yes, anti-black racism has always been my focus, but just injustice, period, I, I, I feel so strongly. I think that's probably why I stayed in children's services for so long, too. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about the mistreatment of children.
0: Mm.
1: Very strongly. Do not play with my kids. I will come for you. Or any kid. Like I just. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that comes from my own stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, I'm not telling you, I guess, one in particular experience. Although, in grade one, there was a, a little girl who she wanted the swing I was on. And I said, no, I, no. And I was a, I was a quiet girl um, when I was young. And she took her, she, she had like little, you know, those little scissors in grade one. like They're just little scissors. She took her little scissors out. She had scissors on her on the playground. I was mm. only in grade one. And she cut one of my braids. Whoa. And I obviously was upset. And I pushed her to the ground. And the teacher came over and took me into the school. And I got strapped.
0: Yeah, because. I got strapped. That's insane.
1: Yeah. So those things, and there were many things that happened throughout my life, but I'm like, I didn't know what it was then and why I got strapped and not the little white girl.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, as I got older, I'm like, okay, I know what that is. Yeah. Those things really shaped my, um, you know, shaped me and that I, I won't put up with any sort of like injustice or discrimination. I'm going If that stuff happens in front of me, I'm going to say something. something. (laughs) I'm going to say something.
0: Oh, man, Tanya, that's intense. Okay, so I was like, okay, so we'll talk about something heavy, but I'll I'll lighten it up by doing something I learned. Okay. Okay, so there are numbers from 1 to 60. Yeah. You get to pick one number in your mind. One number in my mind. Okay, Mm -hmm. and um, I need you to write the number here. (laughs) What is this? Magic. And then show it to the camera. Okay. But don't show it to me. Don't show it to you. So the numbers are between what? One and six zero. One and sixty.
1: One and sixty? Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: All right. Uh, keep that on my mind and, and let them know what it is. Okay. 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 Here's my number. You got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so going through these cards, I want you to tell me is your number in this one? It can be more than one card though. So. Yeah. No. No, it's not there. Okay. Nope. No. That was good.
1: Nope. What? No, it's not there. Here? No. Oh, yes, it's there. And yes, it's there.
0: It's here Mm -hmm. and here. Mm -hmm. And not in any of these ones.
1: No, I don't see it in any of those. No. Okay. Did I mess up your game? No, you didn't. Okay. (laughs) Is it six? Yeah.
0: There (laughs) you go. What? (laughs) Is this magic? What's going on? Magic, Tanya. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast today. It was such a
1: gift. Thank you so much.